On today's episode, we're going to be talking about what is idolatry and why do people do it on Saul 02. And welcome to Soul Zero Two. This is the podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. And our goal is to encourage people and lift them up in God and help them to grow and help them to conquer and overcome and, and live a life that is abundant the way Jesus spoke of in John 10.10. So today we're going to be talking to you about what idolatry is and why we do it. And in this series of idolatry, and this is part one of a series of what idolatry is and why we do it. And... Uh, there are so many issues that are affected because of our idolatry of things and ourselves and our our individuality and our self-will that it's it's kind of crazy. But let, let me just start, start it this way because I have a lot to cover today. But you can't begin to understand idolatry until you realize how you were created. And if, if you believe that God created you, which I do for sure and I hope you do, uh, th- then our Creator is the one who gives us the template of how we should live. Now, in, in Genesis, you know, we know the famous verse in Genesis, that then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And it's interesting that, that in that scripture, the word uh, image, there's, two, there's a word for image and there's a word for likeness in that scripture. And the word for image is salem, and the word for likeness is in Hebrew is demut. And image is, is more than a, a stamp of God uh, on us, it's it's more image is more of a of a stamp. It's more than a stamp of God's nature in us. But somebody put it this way, and it's Richard Lentz. He wrote a great book on on God's image. But he said, humankind does not have the image of God, nor is it made in the image of God, but is itself the image of God, and and that is an important distinction. So the way Richard Lentz puts it, and he's an Old, Old Testament scholar. He's a Hebrew scholar. He he prefers the reading of Genesis this way, of that scripture, when he says, let us make man as our image. And why is that important today? Why is that important that we're just not a, you know, a copy of of an image of a God, but we are actually his image? Because humankind was not formed after an image that existed prior to creation. But we were formed as God's image. When God looks at the world and says, let me find my image. Well, I don't see it in bears, I don't see it in lions, and I don't see it in tigers, oh my. So what does he look for his image? He looks at us as human beings. And that's why, you know, murder is a big deal, right, in in the scriptures, because uh, we were created in God's image. So that said, I just want to talk briefly about what 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 I'll call the, the rhythm of creation, and the rhythm of creation is interesting because if, if you look at creation like a song, if, if you ever saw the Chronicles, Chronicles of Narnia series, and in one of the books, Aslan sings the world. He sings the universe and the world into existence with a beautiful song. And creation has a rhythm. And this rhythm sees it this way, that the universe is God's sanctuary. If God created all things, you know, in the scriptures and, and in many teachings of the church fathers and different people, they had this teaching of the divine temple, meaning that the universe is like a theater made for all of God's creation to worship him. And, and Philo of, of, of Alexandria, one of the church fathers, he put it this way, the highest and the truest sense, in the highest and the truest sense, the holy temple of God 
is the whole universe, having for its sanctuary the most sacred part of all existence, heaven, and for its votive ornaments, the stars, and for its priests, the angels, for servants. And so, so think about the universe as a, as a theater where this song is sung, right? The song of worship to God. But also, we have this idea also that creation, creation is like God's song, that there's a time and a tempo to creation. So, trust me that we're going to get to idolatry in a, in a minute here, but think about when you read Genesis, in the book of Genesis, there are so many sevens in there. Uh, that it's amazing, and, and I I am very careful when I when I look at you know like the whole theory of numerology in the Bible, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm very cautious with that stuff. But the, you can't ignore in the Hebrew language the sevens in Genesis. For instance, God saw that it was good. That's mentioned seven times. The first verse of of Genesis one one has seven words. The second verse has 14 words, and so on and so on. And there is this there is this almost like time and tempo and rhythm to it, almost a calculus to this of how Genesis was written. And, and this careful calculation of numbers is no coincidence, but it is very ordered. It's, it's a song, says Richard Lentz. It's like this ordered song of God. And in this sanctuary, God's praises are heard, right? And we have some scriptures here I want to give you, a couple of them real quickly. But we have, for instance, Psalms 19, 1 and 4, the heavens are telling the glory of God and the, and the firmament proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In, in the heavens He has set a tent for the sun. So creation worships God. And then we have another one here for you. We have Psalm 148. And I know these are a little wordy, but they're worth reading. If you want to get into the Word, let's get into the Word, right? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His host. Praise Him, sun, moon, and stars. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. And I'm not going to read the rest to you, but uh, suffice, it to, suffice it to say that, that creation worships God. And, and we find that in, in, in this whole idea of image, um, that, that God gave us His image. And we can see it this way, maybe, that humanity is God's image in the world. And I said this very, very briefly, that imagine this song ends in a crescendo with, with us in the middle of the picture, that God creates human beings to reflect Him on the earth. That's us, right? So within this pitch-perfect world that God created, He places His image in the world, us, and, and gives us what's, what's called by many theologians is the royal mandate, subdue the earth. Be my image in the world. Bear my image in the world. And be, be who I've created you to become. And so, thus the old saying, the glory of God is a man, or a woman for that matter, fully alive. And so, but then, if you look at it as a song, you ever hear a, a symphony where all of a sudden, or you're watching a movie where something bad happens, and 
they hit a minor key or a dissident chord, a chord that it just feels out of place and it feels disturbing. Well, this is what happens when the serpent shows up in the garden. And the problem is, is that here we were given this royal mandate, but then the serpent shows up and takes us out of our song and he tempts us as human beings, right? Adam and Eve chose to regard the serpent's words and later they began to reflect the serpent's words, right? Did God say... Uh, did God say, right? And so we find that it starts out as this rhythmic, this rhythmic song, but ends up as, as this dissident, rough story. So what happens when God's image becomes twisted? It, it results in idolatry, and, and we're back to the idolatry thing. So I want you to imagine for a minute what idolatry is, okay? And so what happens when we become twisted, when we become twisted in our image, it becomes idolatry. And the image that God created becomes something else, someone we don't really know. And the only thing in the universe that reflects God is you. Remember that, right? We said that. And imagine looking in the mirror, and instead of seeing yourself, you saw an ugly, distorted, exaggerated image that looks nothing like you. And this is, is how we begin to understand what idolatry is. That this gives us the first hint of what happens in God's rhythm of creation when idolatry shows up. So there was this disruption in the story. This disruption in, in the story of God, right? And I, So idolatry is, is when the image of God becomes inverted. And that's the best, one of the best definitions I know. There's a couple others, but imagine God created you one way and, and you start living the opposite way of the way he created you. And that's what idolatry is. Imagine putting on a beautiful shirt or blouse backward, backwards, right? And you see all of the stitching and you see all of the, the ugly seams and the buttons backwards and it just looks weird. And Well, imagine inverting the image of God to such a point where, where it looks something like this, right? Where it's like an umbrella turned inside out because idolatry is inversion of, of how we were created, but what happens in that inversion is that we, we begin to replace God with something else or someone else in our life. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones once says, an, an idol is anything in our lives that occupies the place that should be occupied by God alone. Anything that holds a controlling position in my life is an idol. So it could be the most beautiful thing in the world. Like I love symphony, symphonic music. I love good classical. But if I spent eight hours a day listening to classical music and did nothing with my life and was not God's image in the world, then that's idolatry. So when we speak of idols, we don't just speak. We don't just mean uh, obvious sins, right? It could be anything. It could be something very innocent. And but idolatry also can be seen this way that. In idolatry, we worship the wrong idea of God. And there's a scripture that I, that I threw you away that says, So they worshipped the Lord, but also served their, their gods after the, the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. And this is talking about Israel, and it's almost like a, a pathology of after they were, you know, falling and, and going into exile. And it was just the sad tale told of what happened. And, but often we think of idolatry as something that only ignorant pagans do. And we say, well, you know, 
I don't bow down to a statue of gold, or, you know, whatever. But th- think about idolatry this way, that am I living in such a way that I'm inverting God's image, that I'm not living worthy of the image that I am of, of him. And one of Israel's problems is that, is that they, they worshiped God in the temple, but they also worshiped the gods Baal and Asherah and Molech in the temple as well. And those gods can be described this way. And Baal was worshiped as the god who sustains fertility, right? Meaning, you know, produce, like uh, he made things grow or even helped people have children and produce things, crops and people and things, right? Animals and people. And then we have, uh, you know, his followers often believe that sexual acts performed in the temple would boost Baal's sexual prowess so that he could, so that it could contribute to his fertility and he could, you know, bless you, right? With rain because he was a storm god. And then we have Asherah there. Asherah is the Canaanite mother goddess, the goddess of the groves. And she was the one that, where the, like, uh, when people spoke of going to the groves, the grove was like a garden. There was a pole, like a totem pole, and that was Asherah, and they worshiped, she was the, the mother goddess, the queen of heaven. And then, but the worst one was this guy named Molech. It's not a guy, it's really a false god, but it's the god people sacrifice to children or their children to. And the victims were firstborn males. They were killed and then placed on a massive altar and burned as a sacrifice. And that's really a horrific thing when you think about it. Idolatry is awful. And so maybe you're thinking about this to yourself and say, well, we don't do that today. Come on, man. We, you know, we, we're, not, we're not savages, you know. Um, we're not barbaric, right? Well, is it any different than from today's sex-crazed culture where sex is worshipped? And internet porn is, I, I think, last count, there are over 500,000 porn websites, and I'm sure there's probably more today. And, and even, you know, whatever you feel about abortion, murder is murder. And how many abortions have happened even lightly for no reason at all, just because the mother didn't want it? This is just technology pulled over the same old gods. How much has really changed? And so ancient idol worship included temple prostitutes, whether male or female, and parents throwing their children into raging fires to get blessing. Uh, Imagine this. And all-night party orgies and all this right next to Jehovah's worship. So this is why God had a problem with the people who were in covenant with him, Israel, and, and, and why they worshiped. These, these idols. So, this is what happens when things become inverted, when, when up, up is down and down is up, right? But here's something else I want to give you that about idolatry. I, I want to move this along quickly because, like I said, I have quite a few notes today, but we insult God's image in us by embracing something lesser. Or I could have easily said something less, right? God's, God is the original and idolatry Images are the cheap copy. Whatever I worship becomes an image, and that's the cheap copy of, of, of God's image, which I'm supposed to embody. And if we reflect the original, which is God's image, we will flourish. But if we reflect something else, then we deteriorate. And this is why Gamaliel, who was one of the famous mentors of the Apostle Paul, was once asked this question by a philosopher. The question was this, it, it is written in your Torah, <clears throat> which is the Hebrew Scriptures, right? For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Why is he jealous of its worshipers? And do not, and, and why is, is he not angry or jealous at the idol itself? 
And Gamaliel said this as, as a great reply. He said, I will give you a parable. It can be compared to a human king who had a son, and his son raised a dog, which he named after his father, so that whenever he took an oath, he would say, by the life of my, you know, the, my, my dog, and then he would say his father's name. So when the king heard, heard about it, with whom, uh, who was he angry with? The dog or his son? So surely he was angry with the son. And so idolatry is not about God being jealous of the other gods because they're not real, they don't exist. He's more concerned about what has my heart. It's the equivalent of me giving God my dog's name and, and every time I, I call my dog, I'm saying God and, and I, I, I swear in, in his name. I, it's, it's creepy, right? So the golden calf was similar to this when, when the Israelites did the golden calf incident. Uh, they, were, they were making this calf, which was, was really a cow, and saying, this is your God. So they were lowering and insulting God's grace in this sense. So here's another, another thing that happens when we, when we, invert, when we invert our image as, as God's people. We open ourselves up to demonic influence. And if you don't believe in evil in the world, watch out, right? Because evil is in the world. And when we, here's what happens, right? Let me, let me give you the scripture here. There shall be no strange God among you, and I have in parentheses within you for a reason. And I'll read the rest of the verse first. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. And in the Talmud, right, which again, this is what the rabbis speak out of, they interpret this psalm this way. You shall not know for, not, not you shall have no foreign god among you or literally within you. And this, this refers to the idea that we can be under the control of something evil when we are worshiping an idol. And, and this is why Jesus put it beautifully when he said in John 8.34, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. Why? Because you're, you're partnering or I'm partnering with evil. But here's, here's one last thing about about what this inversion does of idolatry. We exchange our image for worthless things. And Paul the Apostle describes idolaters as, as those who uh, exchange the glory, right, which is the image of God in them, or the immortal, or the immortal God for images resembling a, a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. And so... This is the question we're leading to. What have I exchanged the glory of God in my life for? And, and you know, one of the Hebrew words for, for idol is, is gulium, which I'm, I'm probably butchering the word, but it means pellets of dung. So that's how God sees that. So I, I want to close with these words today as, as we close this out, that it is Jesus who is the, the idol destroyer and image restorer. Jesus Christ is the idol destroyer and the image restorer. He's the only way out of idolatry. And in, he, in Hebrews, there's another scripture in Hebrews, and I want to give you this also. It's, it's just really, I like, I like giving you resources here. It calls Jesus this way, it describes him this way. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. And when... He has made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And 
what a mouthful, the scripture, that God restored his image in us through Christ, by Christ coming down and being the perfect image of God without sinning and not marring the image and not inverting the image, but being obeying God in all things. Jesus is the perfect imago Dei, image of God in Latin, right? And he did not distort the image of God, but he, but he stewarded it in, in a way that God wants us to store it. So if you find blessing in this podcast, please leave a like and recommend it to somebody because we want to, we want people to grow in their faith. We want people to, to, to learn what God's word says about all these things. So until next time, God bless you. Take care.